And thank you for that song in your Bible. If you would join me in Matthew chapter number 10, when you find your place, you would stand in honor of the great word of our Lord and Savior. Matthew chapter 10, we've been doing a study through the gospel of Matthew, and here we come to the 12 disciples, 12 men that God used to transform the world. We stand today because there were men who passed on the truth. And truth is the most important thing in the world, isn't it? I tell people truth is more important than sincerity because you can be sincerely wrong. Truth is more important than even love. Love doesn't rejoice in error. Love rejoices in the truth. Truth is what we must have, and that's why Jesus said, I am the truth, didn't he? And so truth is not just information, it's a person in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Matthew 10 verse 1 says, And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now the name of the twelve apostles are these, the first Simon, who is called Peter and Andrew, his brother James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the publican, James the son of Alphaeus and Labius, whose surname is Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent forth. And Father, we come to your word today with joy. Open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of thy law. And as we study the making of a leader in the man of Simon Peter, that you would raise up leaders among parents, among employees, among peers in churches, raise up godly teachers and preachers and evangelists and missionaries, raise up great servants of God, Lord, that we might be an influence in this world for the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see a nation that is broken. We just got done in America celebrating sin for a month. We elevate pride instead of humility. We, we shed the blood of the unborn and call it freedom. We have perverted our ways and we repent of this, God. We plead for forgiveness. We deserve judgment. We deserve your judgment. Lord, help us to humble ourselves before you, to stand on the truth. Lord, we're becoming a very narrow path. The world will hate you, and it will hate us. But we're not here to please men. We're here to please God. And we pray that your word would be on fire in our soul today. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, Man, you may be seated. So we come this morning to a study in the Bible on the 12 disciples, and we find the first of the 12 being listed as Simon Peter. Jesus called 12 ordinary men to do a supernatural work, and he just used normal guys. This wasn't a group of men from the elite universities, from the elite family lines. These were just normal, blue-collar, hard-working people. And aren't you thankful God just uses normal people? Because we're just a bunch of normal people. And Simon is the leader among these. Jesus led the twelve, but he placed Simon Peter over them. And as, as a leader among the twelve, we know he is a leader among the twelve for Many examples through the New Testament, but here in verse 2, it tells us that Simon Peter was the first. Protos is the Greek word, referring to first in rank. There was also, as we saw last week, out of the 12 disciples, three groupings of four. And there were three different groups of four among them, and we'll look at that as the weeks go on as we study the individual lives of these 12 disciples. The first group we're going to talk more about. The second group the Bible doesn't speak quite as much about. And the fourth group, we really, third group, we really don't know a whole lot about the, the four men that made up that third group. 
But among each one of the groups, there was a leader. Peter was the leader of the first group, Philip the leader of the second group, and uh, James the leader of the third group. Now, leadership is essential for anything to operate effectively. Leadership gives guidance, direction. It sets vision for what a group is doing and where they are heading. It is a head for the body. Consider a team without a coach, a family without parents, a marriage A school without a principal, a company without a manager, employees without a boss, churches without pastors, a city without a mayor, an army without a general, a ship without a captain, and a country without a president. Maybe the last one you might argue with me over, but (laughs) leadership is essential. And God in his wisdom has placed leaders into our lives, and we are thankful for them, right? Many of you have been shaped in your life by different leaders that have invested in you. And God in his infinite wisdom had ordained leadership. We see that even in the animal kingdom, don't we? But God has ordained leadership in the home. Ephesians 6.1 tells his children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is right. Parents are designed to lead their children, not to be led by their children. Love my children. But uh, parents are to be parents. He placed fathers to lead the home. Ephesians 5.22 tells us that even wives are to uh, follow the leadership of their husbands. He placed Moses, Joshua, David, men of God over the nation of Israel to lead the nation. God ordained judges in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 16.18. God ordained government to be over the people to keep order, to protect And to punish evildoers. God ordained in Romans 13 that we are to submit to government as long as government does not disobey God's commands. God ordained the church to have pastors to lead the church, to have deacons as leaders in the church, to be servants there. Hebrews 13, 17 tells churches to obey them that have the rule over you to submit yourselves as they watch for your souls. Paul set up pastors in the churches. But you need to understand that leadership in the Bible is different and really at odds with the leadership that the world defines. The world's leaders become self-serving, dictatorial, self-promoting. They fight for the top. The leadership Jesus taught was to be selfless, putting others' needs in front of your own, to be servant-hearted, to serve those that you lead. In Matthew 20, Jesus defines what true biblical leadership looks like. In Matthew 20, verse 25, he says, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your what? Be your minister. Whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your your doulos, is the Greek word, or slave. Even as the Son of Man came... Let's read verse 28 together. Even as this, okay, let's start that over again, because I don't know whether the verse wasn't up or you were starting late or I was off. Okay, let's do 28 together. Ready? Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Isn't that astounding? That God came and said, I didn't come so you could serve me. Wow. Wow, was he worthy to be served? Don't we say we want to serve our Lord Jesus Christ? He said, but I didn't come for you to serve me. I came to serve you. He that was rich became poor so that we through his poverty might be rich. What a, what a, what a God we have, right? Jesus taught what's known as servant leadership. It's really a, a word that, it's like saying jumbo shrimp. It's kind of a struggle to understand how that works. But even though Robert Greenleaf coined the term servant leadership in 1970, it was Jesus who put it on display 2,000 years ago and really taught it. The disciples understood being a servant is what God called them to be. You know, when Paul wrote Romans, which is the constitution of Christianity, he starts off in Romans 1-1 by saying, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Is that what he says? A what? A servant of Jesus Christ. Oh yeah, and I'm also called to be an apostle. But Primarily, I want you to know that I'm a servant of God. Philippians 1, 1, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ. Jude 1, 1, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ. 
Second Peter, Peter writes, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle. Even in the Old Testament, Moses was called the servant of the Lord. Joshua was called the servant of Moses. Biblical leadership is servant-hearted. Let me give you just some qualities the Bible defines in servant leadership. Biblical leadership is servant-hearted, but it also understands it's not about me. If you're in leadership, it's not about you. Leadership is not about what you can get out of your leadership, but what you can give out of that. Jesus said, I came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. From his place of leadership was a place of ministering. Leadership is not a way to get to the front of the line, but it's a way to get to the back of the line. It's not a fight for the top, it's a fight for the bottom. It's not about what people can do for you because you're in that position. It's what people can do for, what you can do for them from your position. Biblical leadership, secondly, places others before yourself. It says, I didn't come to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give my life a ransom for many. He placed the needs of others in front of himself. That's what Philippians 2 is saying in verse 3 and 4, to esteem others better than yourself. Thirdly, biblical leadership leads by example. You know, Jesus led by example. He was not a do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do type of guy. He was a, let me show you how this works. John 13, 15, he said, I have given you an example that you should do as I've done unto you. Aren't you thankful Jesus led by example? Ephesians 5, 2, walk in love. How? How do we walk in love? As Christ also loved us. First. Peter 2.21, Peter writes, For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving an example. He shows us how to suffer. You know what he did? When Jesus suffered and was persecuted, he didn't fight back. He didn't retaliate. He didn't get vengeful. He didn't become hateful. He committed his ways unto the Father. 1 John 2.6, He that saith he abideth in him, what? himself also to walk even as he walked. We are to walk like Christ. You know, Paul led by example, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says this, be ye the Greek mimetize of me. The word mimetize, where we get the English word mimic from. Mimic me as I mimic Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. You could follow Paul and by his life example, live like Jesus. You need to be an example. Thirdly, Next, I should say, biblical leadership is Christ-exalting. Leadership is not, it's not about glorifying you, it's about glorifying Him. I like to put it this way, biblical leadership has a vertical motive with a horizontal service. It's done for the glory of God, but it fleshes itself out among people. That's why Jesus said, when I was hungry, you gave me eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. You serve Christ by serving people, right? So biblical leadership is about him. He must increase, but we decrease. So among the 12, you find these qualities lacking, to say it in a small way. They, they were those that were not clothed with humility. Rather, they were arguing over who was the greatest. I mean, they, they were fighting over themselves putting each other in front of the other ones. They were arguing over who could sit by Jesus in the kingdom. Last week we learned one of the first keys that the Bible teaches would be that leaders are not born that way. You have to make leaders. You grow into being the leader that you need to be. Peter didn't start out as a great spiritual leader. He started out as Simon the fisherman. He was just a big, raw lump of clay that the potter had to fashion. And, and, and we come that way, don't we? I mean, we come to God today and we, we say, Lord, uh, well, I know I'm not what I, I, I could be or what I should be, but praise God, I'm not what I used to be. And, 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 and Lord, I, I, I want to be what you called me to be. And, and so we present our lives to him. And I want to show you some tools that God used to get Simon carved out of Peter, to form Peter into what he wanted him to be. Let me give you three tools. First of all, God used faithful leaders to grow a faithful leader. He used faithful leaders to grow future leaders. A few examples of mentoring are found in the Bible. The Bible teaches that we need to have mentors in our lives. Uh, Joshua was mentored by Moses. Ruth was mentored by her mother-in-law, Naomi. 
Paul was mentored by Barnabas. Timothy and Titus were mentored by Paul. We see that Paul turned around and told those young men in 2 Timothy 2, 2, he said, The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. You see four generations in that one verse. Paul teaching Timothy, teaching others, and who will also teach others. He says, so, Paul, I've taught you Timothy. Timothy, what I've taught you, pass on to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. This is a repeatable pattern. Listen to me. You are pouring your life into other people. Every day, you're affecting other people. Even the most introverted person, they said, will influence over 10,000 people in their life. Friends, we must be influenced right in order to influence right. We must have poured into us what we want to have poured out of us. Peter and the other disciples were mentored by Jesus. Uh, we find in Deuteronomy 6 and Ephesians chapter number 6 that parents are to mentor their children, to train up their children the way they should go, whether they walking in the way, sitting down, rising up, that we're to constantly be pouring into our kids. You know, Titus 3 says this. It tells older women in the church to mentor younger women. Listen to what this verse says. The aged women likewise. That's an elegant way of saying it, isn't it? The aged women likewise. You got to be careful. I get letters for stuff like this. That they be in behavior as becoming holiness. Aren't you thankful when you see the godly women, the older women in our church that are just loving Jesus, faithful, they're, they're stable, they're, they're, just a, they're just a, they're strong yet meek. And it says, not false accusers. So, so women, make sure you're holy and not a false accuser. Not given to much wine, that's another good thing not to get a hold of, right? Giving them a lot of wine, you'll probably be a false accuser of somebody else. Be a teacher of good things. Proverbs 31 says, her lips are the law of kindness. You get around those ladies and they just, you just glean. And it says, that they may teach the young women to be sober. Sober-minded, not, not alcohol sober, but sober-minded. To love their husbands, to love their children. If they need to learn that 2,000 years ago, do you think young women need to learn that from older women today? Let me ask you, ladies. Um, so some of you do this, and I am so thankful for it. But I just want you to ask yourself this. If you're, if you're an older Christian lady in the church, just, just ask yourself this. Have I, has, has it, have I ever gone up to one of the younger women in the church and just asked them this simple question? Hey, how are you doing? You think that's an important question to ask someone? Hey, how are you doing? And just, you're, you're there to listen. You know what, there, there, there could be young ladies in our church who, who, whose eyes could just fill up with tears because they've been carrying around some stuff that they're just not quite sure where to dump it. I've been having struggles at home, not sure how to deal with this stuff with my husband, not sure how to deal with this stuff with my kids. You know, my mom's not a part of my life. I don't really have a mother-in-law in my life right now. And, and they, they search it. What a blessing to just, just have someone who cares. You know, women need women. There's a tenderness that women have that women need. Men need men in their life. I learn from godly women. I tell you, they're such a blessing. But, but men need men in their life in a special way. Women need women. There's a special way that that happens. And so the Bible calls you to that. You see, mentoring is, 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 is all of us are involved in this, aren't we? I mean, friends to friends, peers to peers. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. So I just want you to understand that all of us are involved in leadership. All of us are involved in influence. All of us are involved in, in pouring out something into other people that will affect them. We must be willing to follow others. We must be willing to be mentored. We must be a learner. Last week we saw Peter struggled to follow the command of Christ. Jesus came along and said, hey, uh, I want you to go out and fish some more. Peter's on the shore 
cleaning out his nets. They had fished all night and caught nothing. And as a fisherman, he knows at this time in the morning, later morning, it's getting hot out. If we didn't catch anything last night, this is a terrible idea. And he says, Jesus, we fished all night. We didn't catch anything. And I mean, he was struggling to follow Jesus on that. But I can tell you this, for Peter to follow Jesus, he had to lay down his own opinions. And to be mentored, sometimes we've got to learn to listen more than talk. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, right? Be teachable. Be a learner. And I would say this, surround yourself with godly mentors to grow under. When I was a young man, I, I saw my youth pastor and I was like, I didn't know I was going to be in the ministry. I had no, nobody in my family in, was in the ministry. I had no comprehension of that. I just said, man, this is a, I just like to be around this guy. I just, I just, he knows the Bible. I learned from him. I, was, I just hung around him all the time. I was on his hip all the time. And, and I'd ask him questions. I'd go out on visits with him. I learned so much from him. But be around the people that you want to become like. You want to be a good mom? Be around good mothers. You want to be a hard worker? Get around people that work hard. You want to be a godly Christian? Be around people that love Christ. God uses faithful leaders to grow future leaders. Secondly, God uses His Word to grow leaders. You know, the Bible tells us the Word of God is the most powerful thing on the earth. By the Word of the Lord were the heavens made and the host of them by the breath of His mouth. Psalms 33, verse 6. Hebrews 4.12 tells us the Word of God is living and it's powerful. It's alive. Jeremiah was placed over the nations by God. And, and why was he over the nations? Because Jeremiah 1.9, God says, Behold, I've put my word in your mouth. When he had his, the Word of God in his mouth, he was over the nations. And in Jeremiah 23.29, God says, Is not my word like a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? The Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah chapter 40 that all flesh is as grass. The grass withers, the flower fades away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. God's word is the most powerful thing, and he poured that into his disciples. He knew that if Peter and Andrew and James and John and, and the disciples were going to change the world, that they had to have the word of God poured into them. So Matthew 5.1, he goes up onto a mountain. And it says, when he was set, his disciples came unto him. They wanted the word so bad, they climbed the mountain to get it. Thank you for being here today. You know, I know we had a, we had a good full early service, and the second service is full. We need a bigger building. But doesn't it look good outside? Aren't you thankful for the uh, updates? And thank you for giving to allow that to happen. But... The Word of God will be received by those who value it. Like, you must make it precious. It's got to mean something to you. And they, they climbed the mountain, and it says, and He opened His mouth and He taught them. In John 17, 8, Jesus said, I've given to them the words which you gave me, and they have received them. If you're ever going to grow into the leader God wants you to be, you've got to fill your heart up with the Word of God. You have to do it. You know, Peter learned this lesson. Peter got this. It's revealed in John 6. John 6, verse 66 says, From that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. You know, Jesus preached message that caused people to get up and leave. I've done that before. I think I did that in the early service. Verse 60, he said, what did you say? Don't worry about it. Verse 67, I got on a rabbit trail, you know. Keep me back here. Verse 67. No, rabbit trails are good sometimes. I just don't run out of, I run out of time. Verse 67. Trying to come back. You see the fight right now? Uh, it says this. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, will you also go away? I mean, he had like 20-some thousand people there listening. He ran them all off with his preaching. I don't know about you, but if, if like the deacons would have called the pastor Jesus in that day and said, we need to talk about your preaching. I mean, you're, 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 you're cleaning out the church here, right? I mean, we, we would look at that and think, you know, this is, something's going on here. You know, you know the problem in America's churches today? They think success is if the world accepts you. Like if, if the world thinks well of you, then you've been a successful church. Well, if that's the case, then Jesus fails because they crucified him and they all left him. 
we, we need to realize that we are here to please God, right? We need to honor the Lord. We're, we're desiring the Lord's acceptance, not man's. Then said Jesus to the twelve, are you going to go away also? Then Simon Peter answered, said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Your word is what we're here for. Peter's high view of God's word is seen in his epistle. 1 Peter 1.22, he says, Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. Where did he get that from? He got that from John 15.3. Jesus said, Now you're clean through the word that I've spoken unto you. He's now mimicking Christ. 1 Peter 2.23 says, You're born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God that liveth and abideth forever. Peter knew... The word of God not only saves you, but it grows you. 1 Peter 2, 2, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you can grow thereby. You want to grow? Get in the word. I, 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 I say this with as much grace as I can. I struggle to understand when people tell me, you know, I just struggle reading the Bible. I just don't get in the Bible much. I don't read much. I, like, why not? Like, how can you take the eternal word of God that God wrote for 1,500 years for us, over 40 authors, this book has been bled all over. The men who, do you, you understand there's parts of the world today in China? Uh, I've seen handwritten Bibles from China where the entire Bible was written by someone. Copied, because they didn't have copies like us. Where they would tear pages out, pass them around their churches. And, and, and they would go home and they would memorize much of that and they would come home and they would pass other pages around. They cherish it. And where we can take it so lightly. Listen, you have the written word. You also have an audible word. You can take up a Bible app on your phone and listen to the word of God read. I've listened through the New Testament at least three to four times this year. Just listening. Go, do, I do, go mow the yard, I'll listen to the Bible or I'll listen to preaching and teaching. Like, do something, gain, learn. When you drive to work, if you listen to the Word of God, make sure you read the Bible, but also listen to it. Make it, make it, a, make it a huge priority. I mean, there's times when I'm talking to people, and I'm like, I never even remember ever trying to memorize that verse. I have as many verses that I can quote when I did not intentionally try to memorize them as those I did try to memorize. And it's just by reading. It just, God puts it in there, and then He lets you take it back out. And you can pass on what you have. And so, saturate yourself. He says, if you want to grow, it's, it's a word that grows you. 1 Peter 4.11, that's why he says, if any man speak, let him speak as were the oracles of God, the utterances of God. That's why he told preachers in 1 Peter 5.2, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. You know, in 2 Peter chapter number 1, he writes a three-chapter letter. A few months before he dies, he's in prison. And the whole entire first chapter is about the Word of God. The second chapter is about false teachers. And the third chapter is about the coming of the Lord in judgment. His second coming. The Word of God, false teachers corrupting the Word of God, and Jesus is coming back. If you're going to write one last book in three chapters, what's important? The Word of God I warn you about those who will corrupt the Word of God, and Jesus is coming back. I read for Second Peter sometime this week, and you'll just see how intense he is about that. And so God uses faithful men or mentors in your life to grow you into the leader God wants you to be. He uses his truth, and thirdly, he uses a right mixture of experience of both success and failures. He uses a mixture of successes and failures in your life to grow you. Not that God wants to make us fail, but that He lets us. And how beneficial some of the failures of our life have been. Jesus said this in John 15, 5. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. And then what's the last part of that say? For without me, you can do how much? You know, how much? Nothing. Is that important to know? Pretty big deal. God uses many powerful experiences in Peter's life to grow him. You know, there was a lot of carving to, 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 to get Simon out of Peter. He had to, he had to chop a lot off. And, and it was only through a lot of these failures and humbling experiences that, that he went through that, that the old man died. 
It was, it was through the powerful experience we saw last Sunday from Luke 5 that caused Peter to fall down on his knees and say, depart from me. I'm a sinful man, O Lord, and surrender to Christ. What's interesting to me is God repeats things very intentionally and very clearly in the Bible. You know, God will use an experience in our life, not just once, but over and over again to teach us. Have you ever gone through an experience you're like, man, this seems like deja vu? Like, I've been here before. These are not un, you know, untested grounds. Like, I've walked these roads in the past. It's like, Lord, why are you bringing me here again? He's, and the Lord could say, because you only learned 60% of it last time. You know? If you're going to go through a trial, take notes. Graduate. Because you'll repeat it if not. He loves you enough to bring you through it again. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, Peter knows what he's talking about. Peter's like, oh, we're going on the boat again? I mean, it was, it was on the sea that Jesus taught these fishermen a lot about faith. So he does a fishing experience to call them into ministry. Matthew 8, 23 through 27. He says, get on a boat, let's go to the other side. He gets on the boat, Jesus falls asleep in the back. And the boat is tossed in the storm so greatly that these men who grew up fishing on the sea with fish all night had no problem jumping in deep, dark water. They were not afraid of that. They were terrified by this storm. They, they, were, they were traumatized by it. They wake Jesus up from the storm. I mean, what's, what's it saying to them when like there's water coming in and Jesus is sleeping in the back? They went back there and said, Lord, do you not even care we're going to die? And he says, why are you so fearful, you of little faith? I mean, they're like, the house is on fire, right? What do you mean? This is crazy. I mean, this is absurd. Water, storm, like, we're going to die. Like, this is no joke. How are you sleeping? This is impossible. What is he teaching him? He calms the storm. You know, when they got to land, it says that they proskuneoed. They fell on their faces and worshipped him. They said, we, this man, even the winds and the sea obey him. And if the winds and the sea, why not me? Boy, what a lesson the Lord taught them that day, right? Out on the sea. Matthew 14. Jesus sends them across the lake again. Fast forward, perhaps a year. He says, this time I want you guys to get on the boat and cross. I'm sure the weather looked pretty good. Sea of Galilee was, is the lowest fresh body water on the planet. It can get very turbulent very fast. Cool air comes over those mountain ranges and comes down and it just storms very quickly, very severely. And um, you ever been up to Lake Erie, it could have that kind of effect where just the waves are very, very turbulent. So, so Peter's and the disciples are on the boat, they're... And Jesus can see them. He's up on a mountain praying. He sees them. And the Bible says at the fourth watch of the night, he comes to them. That's between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the morning. He's walking on the water to them. Now, if you're out on a boat and it's dark and all of a sudden you see, some, all of a sudden you see somebody walking toward you, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You're going to sound like your little five-year-old niece, aren't you? Yes, sir. You're going to scream. You're going to scream like a little tiny girl. And they, they yell out, ah, you know, they scream. It's a ghost. And then Jesus said, be not afraid. It is I. And then, then listen to what happens in, in, in verse 28, Matthew 14. And Peter answered him. It's always Peter answering, isn't it? Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. I don't know about you. I might need a little bit more assurance. Like when you say come, are you saying that I'll walk or that? I, like I'm not going to sink, right? I would, I would be following up with some questions, I, I'm sure. You know, and, and wouldn't that first step be a little shaky? I mean, you're not like stepping out of a calm boat. I mean, this thing's tossing and turning. They're letting him out of the boat. And, and he gets out and he starts walking toward Jesus. This is crazy. It says, and, and when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But what happened? But he saw the wind boisterous. He was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, Thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? You know, people like to point to the fact that, that, that Peter sank. But let me remind us, there's only been two humans 
two people who've ever lived on this, this earth that ever walked on water? Let me ask you this. Do you think Peter sinking in the water was a good lesson for him? What do you think would have happened if he didn't sink? Well, he would have had strong faith. But there might have been some other problems. Perhaps when they started saying and arguing over who was the greatest, Peter would have said, you guys remember? (laughs) (laughs) Enough said, right? I mean, he probably went around the world like this, right? He's just walking around like, hey, guys, I'm telling you. Simon Peter right here. You know, it's, it's probably one of the best things in his life. You know, and he, he may have even brought that up. You know, who's the greatest? Well, I walked on water. But they're like, yeah, and you sang, brother. You, you know, <laughs> screamed like a little five-year-old niece of mine. You know, you, they, th- this experience showed him that as long as I keep my eyes on Christ, I'm okay. See, but when I take my eyes off him and start putting them on the turbulence that the world throws at me, Boy, I sink. And the problem is not outside of me. The problem was inside of me. You know, there's a lot of Christians who sink. And they think, once my circumstances change, once my life gets squared up, once these things... No, it's not out... You thought it was outside of you, right? No, it's never been there. It's always been inside. It's a faith issue. Turn with me to John 21. This is another, this is another C lesson. find it interesting that twice they faced a storm at sea, and twice Jesus used fishing to teach them some lessons. In Luke 5, the beginning of their call to ministry, he caught a bunch of fish, and now here in John 21, the same thing. For context, you need to know this, Matthew 28, verse 16, Jesus told them after his resurrection, he's risen from the dead at this point, and he said, I want you to go to a mountain in Galilee and wait for me there. He had appointed a place for them to go. Well, it must have been too long of a wait for them. In John 21, verse 3, Simon Peter saith to them, I go a-fishing. I mean, he sounds like Saul in the Old Testament when, Saul, when, when Sam, Samuel was like, go wait for me, and they just couldn't wait. I go a-fishing. And they say to him, we also go with thee. Now, they're little rubber duckies coming behind Peter. Wherever Peter goes, we're going to follow. He's the leader. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. I bet that night they're like, you know what, I don't remember the last, I mean, when is the last time we didn't catch anything? Wait a minute. Man, it seems like deja vu. Seems like we've been here before with empty nets. You know that, wasn't that like three years ago? Yeah. Yeah, I remember we were on the sea, yeah, we were right over there. Maybe we shouldn't have gone fishing, Peter. Guess what happens in the next verse, verse 4, John 21, verse 4. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. They didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto them, children, have you any meat? I I, I don't know about you, but I, I read between the lines here a little bit. If I'm a fisherman and I went fishing all night and somebody calls me a children, with me and, me and 11 other dudes, I'd be like, wait just a minute, who do you think you are, pal? We're hungry, we're tired, we have no fish. Children, have you any meat? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the ship and you'll find. You know, they had to be thinking, who does this guy think he is? This is ridiculous. Calling us children and then telling, but you know what? They had to have some humility to follow that, right? But at that point, they're willing to try anything, perhaps. It says, they cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. You know what they easily would have thought? Boy, we've, seen, we've been here before. I remember the last time we didn't catch anything, and I remember the last time that we threw the nets on the other side. That was when Jesus, that must be Jesus. When John said, it's Jesus, and Peter just jumps in the water and swims the shore. He can't wait. You think that was a, you think that was a big lesson for him? What was Jesus teaching him? Peter, you think you're your provider? You think you're the one who fills your nets in life? You think success is going to be on your own ideas and plans? I'm going to tell you something. When you fall out of my will, you end up with empty nets. 
You may have the right gear. You may have the right boat. You might have the right experience. You're going to walk away empty. You want to have empty nets in life? Disobey God. Get out of His will. Be radically successful for the world and have nothing for God. That's what the Bible calls a fool in Luke 12, verse 20. It says that they are rich in the world, but they're poor toward God. Earthly rich and heavenly poor makes a fool. And he says to cast on the other side, this is obedience, this is trusting. And he's teaching them the truth of Matthew chapter number 6, verse 33, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Food, clothing, all this other stuff will be added. You put God first, you get everything thrown in. But you know what Christians do? They chase the flesh and lose the spiritual fruit. You want, you want full nets in life? You get serious about God. You obey him. What a valuable lesson. How important is it to know that Jesus is our provider? You know, Jesus taught us in Matthew 6, there's one key opponent that he has in our hearts. Either we serve God or we serve money. Either we serve, that's why it's important to be faithful to give to the Lord because I can tell you, this right here will be your chief competitor with God. Right here, you see it? This is it. That's what Jesus taught. He said, where your treasure is, there is your heart also. This is Jesus speaking. And so make sure that you you keep God first place in all areas. Later, God used an experience in Peter's life to teach him how quickly Satan can get a hold of his life. In Matthew 16, Jesus says, Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and then Jesus said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven revealed this to you. And Peter's like, Oh, oh. He's, he's walking on water again, isn't he? I mean, you mean the Father just directly spoke through me? Wow. He got, he got pretty excited about this. Because the next thing that happens, just a couple verses later in verse 21, Jesus begins to tell them how he's going to go to Jerusalem, suffer many things of the elders, chief priests, scribes, be killed and be raised again the third day. And you know what Peter does? Well, I'm about to tell you what I feel the Father leading me to say to you. Let me say this, not always when you think it's God speaking or telling you to do something, is it always God? Be careful to use this phrase ever in your life. God told me. Oh, really? If you ever say God told me, it better be followed up with the words through his word. God showed me through his word. Because if you're basing it on something else, I can tell you, you that's where Mormonism came from, Islam came from, and every other false cult and religion. God has never audibly spoken to me. He leads my heart. He can put stuff on my heart. But he speaks to me through his word. And if you want to hear him speak audibly, read the Bible out loud. Right? It's important to know. We're not the church of, of, of what did the Lord tell you this week? Well, uh, if it's outside of through his word, he didn't really tell me a whole lot. Everything you've ever seen at Lighthouse, God's never spoken to me outside of his word. But Peter could have said, hey, he just spoke right through me to Jesus, and now he's speaking through me again. Yeah, that's how you go down these wrong paths. Get behind me, Satan. Right? Now, that cuts across the grain for some in our world. Matthew 6, 22, Jesus goes on, get behind me, Satan. You know, that is the strongest rebuke ever found by Jesus in the New Testament. Right after he says, the Father laid that on your heart, Satan got a hold of his lips. Wow. He told the Pharisees, you're of your father the devil, but he told Peter, you are the devil. <laughs> you think Peter was humbled? You know, Peter learned a great lesson that day, that those who are greatly used by God must stay humble, that those used by God most also have the capacity to be used by Satan most. You think your pastor's beyond falling? You need to pray for me, right? You need to pray for me for your sake as well. And Peter got the lesson. 1 Peter 5.8, this is what he says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He gave that warning. Later on, it was Peter that Satan went after. 
In Luke twenty two thirty one, this is the night before Jesus is crucified. He said, Simon, Simon, talking to Peter, behold, Satan has desired to have you. Who did, Peter, who did Satan want out of all the 12 disciples? Who, who did he want? He wanted Simon Peter. Why did he want Simon Peter? He's a leader, right? So, so what do you do when Jesus, like Satan, wants to have you? Peter's like, well, tell him not to. You know? <laughs> right? I mean, come on now. Like, like, what's the best thing Jesus can do for you at this point? Verse 32. But I have what? I've, I've prayed for thee. Pastor needs your prayer, doesn't he? It, it, you, if, if Satan came after Lighthouse, who do you think he's going to first want to get? Why? Yeah. What if I fell into some grave sin this week? Where's, you show up next Sunday. Where's Pastor at? Oh, you didn't hear you think that would be tragic? You think that would be devastating? Yeah. Make sure you pray for your pastor. Pray for your leaders. Pray for the Braden. Pray for Alex. Pray for the other leaders of our church. Pray for the pastors of other churches in our community, right? Lift them up to the Lord. Pray for your dads in your homes. Is that devastating? Yeah. Pray for moms. Pray for the patriarchs and the matriarchs of our homes. We need the Lord Jesus Christ. He prayed for Peter. And you know, Peter didn't, didn't stand strong that whole night, but he says, I prayed for you that your faith would not fail, and when you are converted, when you're restored is the idea, not salvation converted, but restoration, strengthen your brethren. You know what Peter said later in 1 Peter 1.5? He says, we are kept, who are kept by the power of God through faith. You know who keeps us? Christ keeps us. Paul learned that, or Peter learned that. Peter learned sacrifice was involved in serving Christ. He rebuked Jesus in Matthew 16 when Jesus said he was going to go to a cross. Right after he rebukes Jesus, Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Then Jesus turned to his disciples in Matthew 16, 24. He said, if any man come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. Peter learned that lesson because Peter wrote to persecuted Christians. In 1 Peter 4.12, he says, Beloved, think it not a strange thing concerning the fiery trial that is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. This is part of it. Be partakers of Christ's glory. Rejoice in that. Peter learned to submit to government. In Matthew 17, they said, do you, do you guys pay taxes? Peter comes back and says, Jesus, do we pay taxes? He says, yes, we do. We don't want to offend them. He says, go down and, and, and catch a fish, and inside the fish's mouth will be a coin, and go pay that. Well, that'd be a nice fishing day, wouldn't it? Catch a fish, you're like, yeah, I got food and money. This is really nice. Something fishy going on there. This would be great. Jesus taught the importance of submission to government. You think that was important for Peter or somebody bold like him? Yeah. 1 Peter 2.13, he said, Submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. You know, they taught Romans 13, 1 uh, uh, Peter 2.13, in a day when the Caesar was killing Christians. Peter learned forgiveness in Matthew 18. Jesus said, you need to forgive and he says, Peter says, how often do I forgive my brothers? Seven times in a day? Like, you know, in that day, Jews would like max it out at like three. He's like, I'll double it and add one. Like seven enough, Jesus? And he's like, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven, right? Peter learned courage. Perhaps one of the greatest times people remember Peter is when he made the bold proclamation, I'll never deny you, Christ. Then he goes out and denies him three times. Peter learned that sleeping during a prayer meeting that night was not a good idea. In Acts 4, after being threatened to not preach, this is after the church is launched. In Acts 4, Peter is charging ahead, leading the church. Acts 4, he is propped before the Jewish Sanhedrin that would condemn him to death. They had the power to do that under the Romans. They would turn them over to Rome to have them killed. But, but Acts 4.19, it says, Peter and John answered and said they had threatened them. They said, don't preach anymore. Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than God judge you, but we cannot do the things that we have seen and heard. You know what they did in verse 31? When they had prayed, the place was shaken where they assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and spake the word of God with boldness. Boy, we need that, don't we? We need to be a church that prays and let God shake our souls and preach with boldness. Peter learned humility from the powerful experience of having the Lord wash his feet. Jesus washed his feet. He says, you can't wash my feet. And, 
and Jesus washed his feet, and he was so humbled by that. He wrote 1 Peter 5, verse 6. He says, submit. He says, and likewise, you younger, submit yourselves one to another, to the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. Be clothed with humility. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Peter learned what love and grace was in John 21 when Jesus restored him. You know, Peter denied Jesus three times, and Jesus came to the shore that day and asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. You say, why did he do it three times? I think for two reasons. One, to say, Peter, I, I, I knew every time you denied me, but, but I want you to know that I still want you to feed my sheep. I'm not done with you. You ever fail and you feel like you're over? You know, God can't use me. He's like, Peter, I'm not done with you. You had a colossal failure, and you need to build on that and recognize without me, you can do nothing. You thought you could stand without the shepherd. You have nothing. He also taught him, do you love me more than these, these fish? You love me more than these? You're going back to fishing? I, I called you out of fishing to fish for men. Feed my sheep. Don't be caught up in fishing. I have a greater job for you to do. Peter learned the grace that day, didn't he? You know what he writes in 1 Peter 4, 8, Above all things, have fervent love or charity among yourselves, for love or charity shall cover the multitude of sins. History records that every time he heard a rooster crow, it brought him to tears. Peter learned loving God involved obeying God. Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. You know, from that point forward in John 21, he's never called Peter, Simon again. He becomes Peter. He becomes the rock. He launches the message in Acts chapter number 2 where they saw 3,000 people saved and the gospel goes forth and the Gentile Pentecost of Acts 10 happens at the house of Cornelius. God uses him in such a mighty way. And so the Lord used both the successful experiences and the failures in Peter's life to teach invaluable lessons. Failures do not define you, Christian. Christ does. Failures are a part of the growing process. You know, Thomas Edison tried 10,000 different ways to make a light bulb. And when someone asked if he failed, he said, I didn't fail. I just learned 10,000 ways not to do a light bulb. Henry Ford said, the only real mistake is the one you don't learn from. C.S. Lewis said, failures are finger posts on the road to achievement. Consider all that Peter learned from the lapses of faith, his failures. He learned to be humble, didn't he? He learned he needed the Lord. He learned to lead, to be a leader. He had to be a good follower, to trust God even when he didn't understand, to not have an overestimation of himself. You know, in Acts 4.13, one of the greatest things that was said about him, it says that when they saw him, they took knowledge of him that he must have been with Jesus. Let me, let me give you four keys to growing into a leader. God wants you to be very quickly. If these are some of the tools that God's going to use, he's going to use mentors in your life. He's going to use his truth. He's going to use experience that come by both successes and failures. You need to, number one, be a teachable person. If you want to be a good leader, you've got to be teachable. Proverbs 9, 9 says, give instruction to a wise man, he'll get wiser. Proverbs 1, 5, a wise man will hear and increase in learning. Leaders always keep learning. They never stop learning. Secondly, leaders ask questions. One thing that's true of a leader is they ask questions. If you never ask questions, you will not be an effective leader because you're unwilling to seek out the answers or you're too proud to ask questions. One thing you find about Peter is he was asking, he asked more questions than anybody else and all the disciples put together. In Matthew 15, 15, when they didn't understand a parable, he says, declare unto us the meaning of the parable. When Jesus taught on forgiveness, he says, how often should I forgive my brother? Peter asked what their reward would be for following Jesus in Matthew 19. In, Ma in Mark 13, he says, Lord, tell us, explain to us this end time study. In John 6, 68, when Jesus says, will you go away? He says, where will we go? You have the words of eternal life. When Jesus said he would depart from them in John 13, 36, Peter said, Lord, where do you go? When Jesus had the fig tree withered, Peter's the one who came along and asked him what that meant. In the upper room, when Jesus came to wash the disciples' feet, he says, you're not going to wash my feet, are you? When Jesus said one of them will betray him, he said, John, ask him who it is. He was always wanting to find out, inquisitive about these things. He wanted answers. And I've always said the difference between reading the Bible and studying the Bible is one word, questions. If you don't ask questions, you don't study the Bible. When was the last time you read the Bible and you stopped and asked a question? What's that mean? If you don't do that, you're not studying. You're, 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 you're robbing yourself of so much. 
Thirdly, leaders are in the middle of the action. They don't sit on the sideline, uninterested, unengaged. They are in it. They are there. I believe if Peter was, if Jesus stopped, Peter probably would have ran into him. He was on his hip all the time. When Jesus said, who do men say that I am? Peter's like, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. When, when Jesus came walking on water, Peter said, Lord, it's you, let me come. When Jesus said uh, he was going to go to Jerusalem, suffer and die, Peter was right there to rebuke him. When Jesus said, everybody would deny me, Peter said, not me, no way. When the soldiers came out that night, Peter hacked off the ear of the guy next to Jesus. I mean, he was just there all the time. Leaders are in the middle of the action. If you want God to use your life, don't be distant. Don't be at a distance saying, boy, I would really want God to use me. Get plugged into the church. Church is the primary vehicle through which God works. Plug into the church. Get involved in activities. Be here. Be here physically on on services, but then also find out where you can get involved. Plug in, serve, do something. Serve, minister at your workplace, at your homes, all these places you can be used by God. But, but, But be in the middle of the action spiritually. Fourthly, leaders are committed and faithful. You know, Paul says, commit the same to faithful men. You must be faithful. Well done, thou good and faithful servant, Jesus will one day say. Faithfulness is a requirement. Leaders face failures, but they don't quit. They just keep going. They just keep pressing. They, they fail falling forward. They fail falling forward. And that's what you and I must do. So as I close, I would say this. This fisherman that you see on the shore that day, uh, you know, I, I, I bet in heaven, Peter's like, Jesus, did you really have to tell them all of that? I mean, so embarrassing. But perhaps Jesus says, Peter, I want them to listen and learn, not to have to live and learn over some of that. Perhaps they can learn from your life so they don't have to go through such a hard valley. So let us be learners today, Amen. Let's take out our hearts and say, Lord, write upon them your truth. I don't want to go through a hard valley so that I could learn something when you've already shown it to me through your word. You know, in John 21, Jesus said this to Peter. Verily, verily, I say unto you, when you were young, thou girdest thyself, walkest whither thou wouldest not. You went, it says, but when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hand, and another shall gird thee and carry carry thee whither thou wouldest not. Say, when you were young, you went where you wanted to go, did what you wanted to do. But when you're old, there's going to be a time when they're going to stretch out your hands and carry you where you don't want to go. Verse 19, this spake he signifying by what death he should glorify God. You know what he's saying? Peter, if you follow me, you're going to be crucified. You're going to be crucified. This spake he signifying what death he would glorify God in his death. And then he says this, Peter, follow me. You know what Peter had to do in that moment of his life? It was a crossroad. I follow Jesus. My nets are going to be full forever. I'm going to live for the kingdom. I'm going to live for what really matters. But there is a cross literally waiting for me at the end of that road. Follow me is a big deal, isn't it? Surrender was up front. Jesus was saying, I want you to pay the price now of dying. There there was a missionary that went to some cannibals on the Fiji Islands. And the captain said, sir, if you go to these islands, these cannibals will kill you. Sir, I'm telling you, you will not live. And, And the captain literally pleaded with these missionaries as they're going on a boat to the island when he's leaving the ship. And the missionary yelled back and said, we died before we came. He said, Peter, I want you to follow me. You know, history records the end of Peter's life. It's in the writings of an early church father, Eusebius. It says when they took Peter to crucify him, they first took his wife and crucified her in front of him until she died. (laughs) History records that he stood at the foot of her cross and he kept repeating, remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord until she died. When they came to him, he says, I'm not worthy to die in the same manner as my Lord. Turned the cross upside down and they crucified him upside down. Boy, Simon, Simon didn't exist anymore, did he? God had made a rock. What kind of leadership are you displaying in your life? When Peter look at you, or when people look at you, what, 
what would they say is really important to you? What are you splashing on them? What influence are you, are you affecting them with? God's going to bring faithful leaders in your life. Are you willing to grow underneath them? He's going to use his word, successes and failures. Be teachable, ask questions. Be involved. Be committed. Don't quit. My prayer is that God would take older women in this church to teach younger women, older men, younger men, parents to their children, spiritual leaders to others. Listen, God has a great plan for your life. So much we're going to learn from the other 11 disciples, but today we're going to learn to be leaders. Amen. Amen.